Hello and welcome to Hamsa Holistic Healing and Ayurveda Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and it is my deepest desire to journey with you down the path to better health, mind, body, and spirit through the practice of mindfulness and spiritual awakening. Here in this sacred space, we will examine how the practice of higher consciousness and self-awareness can actually lead us to an optimal state of physical and spiritual health. We will talk about the various ways to increase our awareness and support one another along this beautiful journey. Thank you for being here and welcome. Hello and welcome to Hamsa Holistic Healing and Ayurveda Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I welcome you to episode number 36, where I speak with Carl McComan, who is a spiritual director, retreat leader, international speaker, and author on the topic of mystical spirituality and Christian mysticism. Coming up next, Carl McComan is a spiritual director, retreat leader, an internationally known speaker and teacher on mystical spirituality and contemplative living. He is the author of many books, including The New Big Book of Christian Mysticism, Eternal Heart, The Mystical Path to a Joyful Life, and Unteachable Lessons, Why Wisdom Can't Be Taught and Why That's Okay. He is one of the co-hosts of the Encountering Silence podcast and blogs regularly on Pathios Medium and his own website, www.anacara.com. Carl's approach to contemplation and mysticism is inclusive and expansive. He is dedicated to exploring the common ground between faith traditions, with a particular interest in the connecting points between Christian, Buddhist, and pagan wisdom. Carl lives with his wife, artist Fran McCollman, in Clarkston, Georgia, near Atlanta. Good morning, Carl. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. And I'm grateful that you are taking the time to share your wisdom on this rather lofty and interesting topic of Christian mysticism or slash spiritual mysticism. Maybe we can approach it in that way. So it's not so limiting. Maybe spiritual mysticism is the topic we're speaking of today. Usually when I start the a podcast episode, I start with a definition of what we're speaking about to kind of simplify and maybe bring a little focus to the topic. I know it's kind of a hard thing to describe. I just wanted to read an excerpt from your newest book, the new big book of Christian mysticism. Love is real. God is love and God dwells in your heart. And this God who is love wants nothing more than for you to realize what is already yours, the limitless joy of union with divine love as you behold the eyes of infinite compassion and allow that compassion to guide your own life into care and service for others. And I just have to say, wow, with a capital W, because that is that is really beautiful. Oh, thank you. So maybe we can start there. I, I think that's a kind of a defining uh, moment of spiritual mysticism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... Um... You know, I love your um, your kind of nuance of Christian mysticism and spiritual mysticism. So do you mind if I address that before we take the deeper dive into mysticism popular? So um, 
mysticism, as I say in the book, mysticism is like tofu. And what I mean by that is that if, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you, you know, are much of a cook, but obviously when you cook with tofu, it has a tendency to take on the flavor of whatever, you know, you're putting it into, you know, so whether it's, you know, here in the South, we have barbecue tofu, you know, I mean, that kind of thing, you know, or, <laughs> right. or, or tofu in a stir fry, you know, or wherever, wherever it ends up, you know. Um, but tofu is still tofu. It's still made from soybeans. It's still, you know, packed with protein, et cetera, et cetera. So, so mysticism is kind of the same way that there are so many different flavors of mystical spirituality uh, from all over the world's great wisdom traditions and faith traditions. Mysticism is mysticism is mysticism. And yet Christian mysticism is a flavor of mysticism. Buddhist mysticism is a flavor. Pagan mysticism is a flavor. And so, um, so I think it's just like I would be sad if I only ate, you know, I love Chinese food, but if I only ate Chinese food for the, um, you know, for the rest of my life, that would be boring. And I think it's the same thing with, you know, the different kind of cultural expressions of mysticism. Yay, Christian mysticism. It is a beautiful, you know, it's the wisdom teachings of Jesus and the great mystics of Western Europe. But um, but obviously, then we could, you know, you and I could talk about Vedanta, we could talk about the Sufis. Um, you know, Native American spirituality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so when you talk about mystical spirituality or spiritual mysticism, we are looking at the tofu base. And then Christian mysticism, which, which my book is about, is that particular flavor. So I, so I just want to kind of put that out there. Now, what is mysticism? Um, and I don't have a short answer for that. We could spend the entire time of this conversation just trying to unpack that one persnickety word. Um what I like to do is go back to the Greek. The Greek uh, that a mysticism comes out of the Greek language. The word, the Greek word that it comes from, is the same word that gives us mystery. You know, think Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, or mute like the mute button on your uh, TV remote. And so there's this sense of silence, mute. You know, this deep silence. You can't put it into words. But then the mystery bit is. It's bigger than our minds. It's bigger than our cognitive capacities. It's it's not like a whodunit, like a Nancy Drew, where by the end of the book, you know, chapter twenty five, you find out who you know who stole the whatever. Um, <laughs> this is a mystery that there is no solving. This is a mystery that the deeper you go into, the more it unfolds. It unfolds into paradox. It unfolds into unknowing. It unfolds into that kind of heart and gut level intuition that can't be put into words, but that you know in your bones. So, you know, so the, obviously I'm speaking in a very evocative way, but it's because you can't put it into words. You know, they, they're, they're, there's a wonderful teacher in, in the mystical Christian tradition who just passed away about five years ago named Thomas Keating. And Keating used to say, and I, I think he's alluding to Rumi, he used to say silence is God's first language. Everything else is just a translation, you know? So, yeah. And so Thomas Keating in, in his um, great book, Open Mind, Open Heart, speaking uh, about contemplation and the contemplative life of silence. And in the silence are the answers and the union and the connection is within the silence not so much within the outside um, experiences of going to church. Of course, there's connection there as well. 
but after you go to church, which or or whatever um, formal place you worship, mm-hmm. it's coming home, and then that silence of kind of letting it digest and move through your body and soul is where you maybe become enlightened at times. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to take us in an interesting direction. As I'm listening to you, mm-hmm. what comes up for me is the story of Ram Das. Okay. And I I don't know how familiar you are, but anybody who's listening who may not know, Ram Das was one of the early researchers into psychedelics. He worked with Timothy Leary at Harvard University. He worked with mushrooms. He worked with LSD. You know all of those you know those entheogens. Yes. And after what almost ten years, he he came to this point where he realized the psychedelics. You know he'd take them and he'd see God, but then six hours later or twelve hours later. The trip was over. Exactly. Yeah. And so what he did, of course, his and his name was Richard Alpert. That was his birth name. So Richard Alpert goes to India. And of course, it's what, 1967, 1968, 1969, you know, the Beatles had been to India. It was this just in the air that the answers were in India. Yeah. And he goes to <laughs> India and 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 he meets Maharaji, who of course becomes his life guru. And he sits in front of Maharaji. And all that happens is Maharaji looks at him and loves him. And 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 Ramdas is so humble about it, but I believe he had an enlightenment experience. Yeah, at absolutely. that point. Yeah. And just just this being loved by this one just this one guru, this, this kind of rascal guru, um who 5 minutes earlier had been teasing him, "Oh, you're a rich American, why don't you buy me a car?" You know, right. I mean, that's who this guy was. And, but he looks at him with the eyes of love. And the veil opens up. And so when you were talking about going to church, you know, and yeah, church, synagogue, mosque, pagan circle, I mean, sweat lodge, you know, wherever it is you go to, to have that kind of high experience, to touch the divine in a ritual or ceremonial way, that's that's beautiful. And I, I you know, find the find what works for you and do it. But the reality is, I mean, it's just like the mushrooms. The mass is over, the the ritual is over. And then the question becomes, what do you do for the next six hours and twenty six days and twenty-three hours before your next ritual? And I think that's what contemplative and contemplative really is kind of a synonym for mystical. Contemplative or mystical spirituality kind of gets under the skin of how do we transform our lives from the inside out so that it's not just about going to church or or synagogue or whatever like you're getting a tank of gas right but it's but it's about a way of life a way of seeing richard rohr another wonderful teacher talks about learning to see as the mystic see and it's such an important conversation that um that it's not just thinking a lofty thoughts but it's about embodying transformed awareness transformed consciousness and transformed compassion and service and and you know when we reach that point then then it's just like you know god is just a geyser bursting from our hearts and we just approach everyone again with this spirit of love and service so you know exactly. so- and, you know as as an ayurvedic health counselor it's kind of a parallel is that you can come in for the healings and you can do that but if you're mm-hmm. not leaving and then supporting that change in lifestyle from the very bottom all the way up and living it and being it every single day, 
that healing will last a little while and then life will start happening again and you'll feel terrible again. And it's, it's like, like you said, embodying and a change in the consciousness and how you experience life and, and wisdom and, and all of that. It's, it's, you have to become it inside your pores and soul. And, and so the reality is, is every, every wisdom tradition, you know, promotes uh, some forms of practice, you know, whether it's meditation, contemplation, service, um, body work like yoga, tai chi, um, you know, ascetical practices like fasting. I mean, there's, there's, there's a basic toolbox. And again, you look at different traditions, you know, different flavors of tofu, and yet the toolboxes are remarkably similar. And so, you know, so the question becomes, you know, how do I, how do I weave meditation into my daily life? How do I weave a healthier diet? You know, how do I weave some opportunity to be of service to my fellow human beings? And, and of course, that looks different for every one of us. There's no one-size-fits-all mysticism, which is, is, is challenging. It's challenging for someone like me who's trying to write a book about it. But it's also, that's the joy of it, you know, that each one of us gets to find our own path and our own unique expression. Um, and then, you know, and then live into that, you know? Yeah. And living into that, that that's where the change has to be. Um, so, you know, right down to the very foundation, it's almost like you have to rebuild your entire consciousness. And so my, my next question would be, you know, for, for me, like you, it was through Christianity uh, was my gateway into mysticism. I know other um, like Buddhists, you know, and and going in that that's their entryway. And so is, but the experience is going to be the same. Is that correct? I mean, mysticism is mysticism. And well, that's an interesting question (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, one could make the argument that there are as many types of mysticism as there are sentient beings. Yeah. And so, you know, so my mysticism may look nothing like yours, even if you and I follow the same lineage, you know, I mean, that's the mystery of it. Right. So, you know, it's back to is all tofu tofu, you know, and, and I would, I operate with the, with the basic um, hypothesis. This is what I like to say. Silence is silence, but every language is different. Mm. Um, and so the reality is, is that, you know, as as babies, we learn to think a certain way. For example, okay, obviously my my home path is Christianity, mm-hmm. but I'm the kind of Christian who who you know the the the, the bumper sticker prays well with others, plays well with others. <laughs> I I you know I regularly not all the time, but I regularly sit with a sangha here in Atlanta. So I do have very strong ties to to the Buddhist tradition. Um, I have deep roots in neo pagan spirituality, goddess spirituality. That's also been an important part of my spirituality as well. So, um, you know, so I have drank from multiple wells. Um, But let's say, well, let's just talk about Buddhism, for example, you know, growing up, you know, I mean, I was baptized when I was six months old, grew up in Lutheran church, you know, I've been the last 20 years, I've been Roman Catholic, Um, you know, operating within that context, even if I decided tomorrow, ah, I'm done with Christianity, I just want to be a Buddhist. The reality is, is I'm going to carry all my Christian baggage with me into the Sangha. My Buddhism is going to be shaped by just who I've been these last 62 years, you know? And so, um, so that doesn't delegitimate the experience. Right. 
But can I really compare my experience of radical silence to, say, the Dalai Lamas or Thich Nhat Hans? I mean, well, of course, that's like comparing a gnat to an elephant to begin with. But, um, but the you know, not only the fact that they're spiritual geniuses, but the fact that they grew up in a Buddhist culture, in a Buddhist context. From the time they were little kids, they were trained in the Dharma. The silence is the same. I really do believe the hearts that beat we're one heart. It's one breath. You know, so of course there is this radical unity that is deeper than all the culture, all the language, all the tradition, all the stories, all the rituals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we need to be opposed to culture and language and rituals because that's what shapes us and what gives us our identity. That's how we tell our stories. And so my story is never going to be the same as the story of somebody who grew up in a 100% Buddhist context or a 100% Vedantist context, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't think that's anything to, I mean, I mean, I suppose we could lament and say, oh, I wish I'd been born a Buddhist. That's kind of silly. I mean, we were born who we were born, you know, and we all have our traumas. When they all come together. It's more enrichment. I mean, it, it makes exactly, it you know, yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because, and, and we, we haven't talked about the elephant in the room. So let me talk about it. Okay. So many people, especially people on a conscious spiritual journey, have been traumatized by Christianity. Christianity, the religion, has hurt a lot of people. And, and anybody who's listening right now who's feeling, you know, maybe some resistance or some anger or whatever, you know, because, man, the nun beat me up when I was eight years old. I, I, you know, I am so sorry. I feel your pain. And I think we have to, we have to acknowledge that reality. And for that reason, many people may be, you know, they're angry at Christianity. They want nothing to do with Christianity. They're, they're, they're wondering, why did you bring a Christian onto your podcast? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, one time, you know, somebody, a, a friend of mine who, who publishes a magazine for women's spirituality, she reviewed a Christian, it wasn't a book I wrote, but but a, another author, she reviewed a Christian book in the magazine and someone wrote her a letter and said, you have poisoned the sacred well, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that because of trauma, because yeah. that person's religious trauma is real. Yeah. And, and, and I think we, we have to talk about that, 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 you know, that because Christianity as an institutional religion has in many ways lost its own mystical heart. Yes. It has become in many contexts toxic. And 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 that any conversation of Christian mysticism has to also include the conversation of why has Christianity gone off the rails. So yeah. so so that's another piece of this whole puzzle. But you know, but then you look at somebody like the Dalai Lama who says, well if you were born a Christian, be a Christian. You know, be a compassionate Christian, be a kind Christian, be a mystical Christian, but you don't have to become a Buddhist to be a better person or to be enlightened or to, you know, to erase your karma or whatever, you know, bloom where you're planted. And I can understand why people, again, because of trauma or whatever, why people have to change. And let me tell you something. I, I used to have a yoga teacher. Her tagline was, there is no pain in yoga. And I, my wife and I loved that. We loved her classes. Um, and so here's what I would say. There is no shame in mysticism. Mm. There is no shame in mysticism. So there's no shame about abandoning religion, changing religions, changing churches, saying, hey, folks, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Um, everything has a shadow, including being spiritual, but not religious, changing religions, staying in the same religion, being a fundamentalist, being, um, you know, being some sort of a wispy, oh, I'm just a centering prayer kind of Christian. Everything has a shadow. Some shadows 
are longer and darker than others. And we can talk about that. But, you know, but that's the reality. Wherever we are, there's light and there's shadow. And we have to learn how to dance with both of those. Yeah. When you think about it, it's really the human experience is really what's getting in the way. The judgment of I'm right and you're wrong. I say so. And you're going to go to hell if you don't think that. And you should not be dabbling in these earth-based pagan things that you're that's very wrong and very bad and this human judgment and this is really what gets in the way of the transcendence of contemplation and mysticism well and what is funny is that then people even people in very conservative very you know legalistic contexts their hearts open up And then they're like, wait a minute, that's all just a story, you know? And there's this deep, deep reality that suddenly I feel such a kinship with the Dalai Lama, or I feel such a kinship with Mother Teresa, or I feel such a kinship with whomever, you know? And and then, you know, it's like, how do I put those pieces together? It's, it's, I mean, I hear stories like this all the time from people in different contexts, and they love their background. They love their family. They love their friends. They love their church or whatever their place of worship is. And then it, and then it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of slithers into their heart and suddenly they're in love with everybody. And then all their friends are still saying, oh no, those people are going to hell. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> how, how do I put all this together? I love you so much and it drives me nuts that you're so judgmental, you know? Exactly. It's just, um, and then I have to be careful that I'm not being judgmental of you being judgmental. Right, right. So, you know, <laughs> I, 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 a, a metaphor that I, yeah, a metaphor that I love. And again, I think I got it from somebody like Ram Dass or somebody like that. But it's the metaphor of hide and seek. Yeah. And and I do yeah. think that they're on a very real level, God, spirit, mystery, whatever you want to call the divine, that's what the human experience is. We are God playing hide and seek with God's self. And, you know, and and religion is a game of hide and seek with God. Uh, spirituality is a game of hide and seek with God. Um, and so, you know, and 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 again, it's kind of like, you know, I'm judgmental of people who are judgmental. You yeah. know, what 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 an expression of the game of hide and seek, you right. know. Exactly, it, exactly. It, it really is. That's the human experience of it's really it's it's living without judgment is probably almost in, impossible as as long as we're embodying a human uh yeah. physical vehicle here, you know. I mean, I, I, but for people who were raised um Baptist or um, you know, born again or, or anything like that. And, but they've got this little bit of curiosity about transcendence and, you know, is there a little bit more than just going, you know, every Sunday and then coming home and going about business? How would a person start to, who's curious about mysticism? What, what would you suggest for people who become a little bit curious about, about that, but they're not really sure how to go about finding out about mysticism. Well, is this the point in the podcast when I'm supposed to plug my book? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Take it away, Carl. (laughs) Well, because obviously that's why I wrote the book. I mean, Oh my gosh. And they're so beautiful. I have three of them, eternal part. And then the two mysticism books. And Um, I said to you on Saturday, when we were chatting how they're just beautifully written, easy to understand and digest. And so please plug 
right now because I found, I found you, I had already gone, you know, I was already in on this journey of, of transcendence and um, I'll say spiritual awakening. That's how I kind of ex- explain it. Letting mm-hmm. the old part of me kind of pass away and then opening to love, Jesus kind of love, Buddha kind of love, compassion based and doing the best I can with, you know, loving without judgment every day. But when I found your website, and you can mention that too, and your books, and you sent them to me, thank you. And I read them and they, they're beautiful and they, they're such a great entryway. Yes. So I would definitely speak to that. Well, maybe the way for me to do this so that I don't come across totally like a huckster um, is to tell a little bit of my own story. And okay, um, yes. so I, you know, was raised white, middle class, kind of heteronormative kind of a culture. Uh, post-World War II, grew up, you know, I was born in 1960, grew up in the 60s and 70s, blah, blah, blah. So when I'm in high school, I my parents were Lutheran, so I was at a Lutheran church camp. And I, I I swear on the Bible and anything else you can ethically swear on, I was not looking for this. I was at this church camp and I was more interested in pot and girls. Okay, true confession. I was more interested in pot and girls than I was in God. I was just, it was a weekend church camp and I just was, it's like, you know, typical bored teenager, you know, eh, well, it got me out of the house for a weekend. You know, I got to listen to all these people talk about God, but it got me out of the house. I don't have to listen to my mom and dad. You know, I mean, that's my headspace going into this. Yeah. And um and over the weekend, first of all, it was just a great event and there were some neat people there. And so my heart is kind of softening. And then on Saturday night we had a communion service. Now this is 1977. This is Kumbaya. This is, you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Acoustic guitars, the whole kind of late hippie, Jesus freaky kind of stuff. I sure I just had a mystical experience. It's it's the humility in me doesn't want to name it that way, but I don't have a better name for it. Basically, during that communion service, the room became suffused with light. It just was filled with light. My heart, my body was filled with love. I had never felt love like that before. I mean, my mom and dad were loving people. I, I, I grew up in a very comfy, kind, affectionate family. It was all good. But this was just quantum leap, you know, next level kind of stuff. Uh, love and light just coursing through me. And of course, time stood still. You know, I look back at it now and I realize what I experienced probably lasted a minute or two, but it felt like it just went on and on and on and on. And and I, I I was not stoned. I had I had never done psychedelics at that point. I have had some experiences since then, true, true disclosure, but had never at that point. And um, but it was it was literally, you know, just ego dissolving, just ah, God and me were not two kind of a thing. And when this is over, I went up to some friends of mine. I literally I thought something objectively miraculous had happened in that room. And I went up to some friends of mine and I said, wasn't that just the most amazing experience ever? And they were like, yeah, it was great. You know, let's go grab a Coke. And I actually, there was going to be a dance. I mean, it was a group of, you know, hormone crazed teenagers. They were going to have, we had communion, then we were going to have a dance, you know? So I, I, I couldn't go to the dance. I actually had to leave and go back to my room and go into so- solitude and just, try to process this. And I could we, I could arguably say 46 and a half years later, I'm still processing it. Um, 
it just was um it was it was just this amazing amazing experience so i i I became a seeker and you know and whether it was you know charismatic christianity catholic christianity you know i again looking at psychedelics looking at at buddhism of course meditation contemplating etc 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 i just you know my life became I got a glimpse of something and I want more of that, you know, and so much of my life has been driven by that. Okay. Fast forward a couple of years later, I'm just graduated from high school. And one Saturday night, I have a dream that the world is coming to an end. And it was just, it was a very profound dream. And afterwards I woke up and it was kind of unsettling. It was like, oh, the world is coming to an end. Now I can look at it today. And I mean, I was, it was weeks before I was leaving home to go to college in a way my world really was coming to an end, you know, but, sure. but, but the dream was straight out of the book of revelation or, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, stars were falling out of the sky and, you know, just, you know, deeply silent, profound silence in that dream. Uh, just, just a fascinating thing. And I was unsettled and I didn't have anybody to talk to, except there was this, this man who had been the organist of my church. By that point, he had gone on, but we were friends. He was a Unitarian and he had, you know, he was one of these guys totally into, um, you know, I mean, he was a musician, jazz and Jimi Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. And um, the, um, and I thought I could trust him. So I went to David's house, told him the dream. And he looked at me and he was about 10 years older than me. And he looked at me and he said, I have, a, I want to give you a book. I think, I think you need to read this book. And he gave me a copy of Evelyn Underhill's book called Mysticism. And so I, I, and I didn't even read the whole thing that summer. Of course, I've gone on to read it multiple times, but I read enough of it that it was like, oh my God, there's, there's just, been a bunch of people who have had experiences similar to mine and nobody ever told me you know nobody and that's why i'm i'm crying i have um this is moving me because i had a similar experience during a reiki attunement that i i so i'm feeling so with you and connected um because i i can almost feel it's palpable how intense it is and you have you have no idea what's happening to you but you get a glimpse and you want more and that started my spiritual journey so please continue. I just, yeah. I'm feeling this kinship and I'm just, you know, my heart is like, oh. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, I don't know if how similar in age you and I are, but there was a band back in the 1970s called Renaissance. In fact, um, David, the guy who gave me the book also turned me on to Renaissance. And um, in fact, the lead singer lives in Pennsylvania. She's probably not that far from you. Oh, but yeah. um, but they have a song called Bound for Infinity. And there's a line in the song, a song about seagulls. It's just it's very poetic. It's beautiful. The woman has this gorgeous soprano. It's just piano and her voice. And she sings. The, the tagline is, you will follow the wind forever. And that has been like the lead motif of my life because I got a taste of the wind of the spirit with that light and that love on that February night, 1977. And I've just been chasing after it ever since. Yeah. Um, in the Celtic tradition, we call it chasing the wild goose because yeah. the wild goose is again, a symbol for the spirit. Yeah. So David gives me this book on Evelyn Underhill. I read this book, it opens me up. It's like, oh my God, mysticism is a thing. Whatever happened to me that night in 77 sure sounds like what's happened to Teresa of Avalon, John of the Cross and Meister Eckhart and all of these amazing people. And then, then I go to college and I discover there are people still around who are doing this kind of thing. There, you know, Thomas Merton, who had died by that point, but not that long before Thomas Merton. And then, you know, Tilden Edwards and Richard Rohr and all of those kinds of people. 
And, you know, and I think for so many people in the West today, because Christianity has lost its mystical heritage, many people do, like Ram Dass, they turn to the East to find this well. They, 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 they turn to Buddhism, they turn to Hinduism, Vedanta, or they turn to pagan, spiritual, earth-centered goddess spirituality. And for just whatever reason, I, I plugged in at an early age to the Christian lineage, which is still there. But as one teacher of mine said, Carl, it's a trickle. But for some divine sense of humor reason, I was, I was able to plug into that trickle. Okay. Fast forward many, many years later, I'm writing, I'm writing professionally, you know, and the whole thing is, is, you know, what book do you want to write? I listened to a talk on, on public radio by Anne Lamont. And if people don't know Anne Lamont, she's one of the coolest Christian writers out there. Um, recovering alcoholic, you know, writes like a sailor, um, but absolutely from the gut, from the heart, takes no prisoners, amazing, amazing writer. So I'm, I'm a total fan listening to her talking and she's talking about writing. And she says, I always tell my students, write the book you wish you could have read. Yes. Oh, yes. Write yes. the book you wish you could have read. And I listen to that and I'm like, well, you know, Evelyn Underhill's book was 100 years old. I mean, even when I got it, it was, you know, 70 years old. Um, I thought the book I wish I could have read was if Evelyn Underhill's book had been published today, uh, written and published today. And that was the beginning of the big book of Christian mysticism. So I just wanted, it was like my my love letter to Evelyn Underhill and to the spirit, a confused teenager out there or some confused 60-year-old out there can read this. And, and resonate their experience with this tradition and feel a little less alone and a little more connected. And so, so back to your question, because that's kind of what your question was, you know, that you pitched to me was, what about somebody who's getting that glimpse, getting that taste, and then they go to their First Baptist Church, you know, of Peoria yeah. on right. Sunday morning, and 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 all people want to talk about is you know I, you know we got to read Ephesians six this week or whatever you know I don't right, even know right, if there is an right. Ephesians six I think there's only five chapters <laughs> in Ephesians but whatever and so um, and it's just like oh my God you know where's my context and and again I come from a place where if you find your context by reading Chick Nhat Han you know or Pema Chodron. Absolutely. I, I support that. I acknowledge that. I celebrate that. But if you want to stay with the home team, and not everybody does, but if you do, this is a resource yes. to help you with that. Yes. And so, um, you know, and then of course, then people write to me all the time and they're like, now what do I do? Because my church just doesn't get me. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and it's, people now, you, have you know, do. well, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's what monasteries are for or retreat centers or spiritual directors. You know, there is this network yeah. of Christians who are drinking from these wells. Mm -hmm. So if you want to stay in a Christian context, here, here are the resources for you. And again, you don't have to. You absolutely don't have to stay in any one context. But what matters is back to that line that you read, you know, that you find the love in your heart and you recognize that the love in your heart is actually a holographic connection of the love in the heart of the universe. And that, you know, and then we're invited to calibrate our lives to that love. That's what matters. And wherever you get that message, I say, go for it. So it's like, it's like we have this seed 
that of God, you know, God created us. And that, that's our seed. That's our start point. And then it's really about expansion throughout life and not staying in that one small little place of almost habit, but expansion of the consciousness to experience this massive um, mystical lifestyle, or I, I'll use experience again. Um, it's, it's expansion. It's you know, it's it's like it can't just be the same thing each Sunday after Sunday. You re- robotically repeating the mass and answering da 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 da. You do it. You're programmed. Lord, I am not worthy to enter under your roof. You know? Exactly. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like it's it's about expansion of consciousness. And then now let's talk about experience because experiential um a a lot of people go into mysticism because they're like i'll read from your your book christian mysticism gets overly fanciful when you place too much emphasis on having cool spiritual experiences like cosmic consciousness or secret visions so what while it is true that mysticism is experiential Christian mysticism is also grounded in the love of God, a love which leads to healing, transformation, and growth in holiness. This is this is Carl's. These are this is Carl's books. People, you've got to get them because they're well. And, the and end, I want you to just lay it all out, Carl, because these books are really important. Serious. Well, important. thank you. First of all, thank you for for your uh, affirmation. And, you know, and and it, at, on the surface, I know this sounds like a paradox because I've spent the last 20 minutes talking about experience. Now, you know, you've caught me saying, but it's really not about experience. <laughs> and, but it can be. Yeah, that's, but it, but it, yes, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with experience. And no. I do believe. I mean, another teacher that I, and, and I never met him personally, we we traded emails and so forth, but a man named Gerald May, who um who died about 15 years ago, he was Rollo May's younger brother. He was uh, really an important contemplative writer. He wrote a book called Addiction and Grace, several others, but what, his book that I think is his masterpiece is a book called Will and Spirit. And in that book, he says, and he uses the old Christian language, unitive experience, what you and I today might call non-dual consciousness or against Satori or Kensho, you know, or that that kind of thing. But the traditional Christian language, the language Underhill uses is a unitive experience. And Gerald May says, I believe everybody, everybody has unitive experiences multiple times every day. But what happens is that our ordinary consciousness, what what um, people like Richard Rohr calls the false self. I really don't like the language false self. I, I prefer to call it the survival mind. Yeah. The survival mind, because it's how we navigate the material world. Yep. The survival <laughs> mind. That's, accept- that's acceptable to the culture that we live in. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's what helps you drive the car. You exactly. know, it's like I tell people, I want to be one with God. I don't want to be one with the car in front of me. You know, it's, 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 you know, so, so the true self or the, the, the playful heart, whatever, that's all about union, non-duality. But then the the survival mind or the false self or the ego, whatever you want to call it, that operates in separation and duality, which helps us to navigate the world of form. It helps us to drive cars at 70 miles an hour on the highway, et cetera. Um, You know, oh, I'm leaving the house. I need to lock the door. I need to set the alarm. You know, that's what the survival mind thinks about. You know, the playful mind is like, oh, give it all away. It doesn't matter because there's so much abundance. You know, oh, if you're going to steal it, that means you need it more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) So, so so, So that's why I don't like the language false self. I think the ego has a role. The problem is, is when the ego colonizes that deep 
non-dual reality. That is, again, our truest self. So so I will use the language true self. But so so ex- the problem is, is the false self, the ego, whatever, it, you know, reads a book like mine or whatever. And it's like, ah, this is about having an experience of God. I want an experience of God. I'm going to take some magic mushrooms and I'm going to have an experience of God, you know, or I'm going to go to a shamanic drumming workshop and you're going to drum, 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 drum. And I'm going to have an altered state of consciousness and I'm going to have an experience of God. But it's the ego in the driver's seat. Right. It's what my my dear friend, Kevin Johnson, who who's the co-host of my podcast, Encountering Silence, he calls it the experience trap. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really great because it is, it's kind of an ego trap. Yep. And and so so that's why I follow the tradition. You know, I didn't make this up, but in the contemplative tradition, there is this language of suspicion about experience. Yeah, you had an experience. So what? You yeah. know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's you just know, part of the um, whole thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you you got high on God. That's great. You know, what are you doing about your neighbor who's hungry? Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's how the tradition approaches. So I think so many people today are hungry for an experience of God because, I mean, as you know, we live in a world that is so stressed, a world where so many people have experienced trauma, a world where there's so much political and social division, and, and we don't know how to navigate this. And all of us are just tensed up. And, um, and so we crave that union. We crave that, that experience of just being loved. And, um, you know, whenever I tell my story, uh, so often, you know, I'll be in a room, you know, couple hundred people, I'll tell that story and somebody will come up to me and they'll say, I've never had an experience like that. And it's like their heart is broken, you know? And and it's it's like, am I am I chopped liver? Does God not love me? God hasn't blessed me like God blessed you. And so it's like, it's not, it's not how it works. It's not the person who dies with the most experiences wins. It's, you know, it's like there's there's a there's a, a, a guy up in Asheville, North Carolina, not far from me. His name is Charles Eisenstein. And Charles is he'd probably be a great guest on your podcast. He's he's written a number of wonderful books, but he talks about the giving economy. And he says, What if we measured wealth not by how much we have in our possession? but by our capacity of giving away. And the reality is, is, you know, you can go, you can go into shanty towns, into hovels, into, into the slum neighborhoods of cities like Manila or whatever, and you will find people who do not have two rocks to rub together and their hearts are filled with generosity. They, and they put those of us that have, you know, we have yeah. stocks and a house and a car, they put us to shame. And it's, you know, and so this, you know, it's, it's again, it's like, so, so, so experiences are like spiritual capital. It's great if you have it, you don't need it. That's really think, the message. Do you, think you don't as, need it. As I'm listening, because today in this stressed world, people are like, damn it, I'm going to, I'm going to have an experience, even if I have to go and pay for it at those ayahuascas or whatever, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, have yeah go take the drugs, you know. And yeah, and listen, yeah. I I I understand and I I respect good research into psychedelics. So I'm not in any way opposed to psychedelics, but I do think they can easily become a trap, you know. Well, so, but to your point, with it's ego driven, you're saying I'm I'm going to have an experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for it, and I'm gonna have it, you know. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can just kind of shed some light on or or the difference of what is the difference between that 
like you're driving it, you're, you're paying for it, you're going to show up to this or, or what you had or what I had, if you're sitting and all of a sudden it happens. Yeah. You know, and you're like, and, what the hell is going on here? And then what about the person who's never had the mountaintop experience, Yeah, yeah. but they've got a heart that's filled with love. Yeah. Exactly. And they care for their family. They care for their friends. They're the kind of person you can call them at three o'clock in the morning because you have a flat tire and they will drive a hundred miles to help you. Yes. You know, Julian of Norwich, one of the great Christian mystics, she used to say, you know, some people don't need visions. She, mm -hmm. she said, if you love God more than I do, my visions belong to you more than they belong to me. Isn't that, I love the humility of her teaching oh, yeah. and, and the depth of the truth. Yeah. And so, you know, so again, it's back to Eisenstein, you know, don't measure your wealth by how much you have, but measure your wealth by how much you give. Don't measure your mysticism. Yeah. by how many experiences you have measure your mysticalness by your heart your you know are you are you somebody who pours love out yeah. you know and um and if you aren't somebody who pours out love well again maybe you have unhealed trauma i mean there there are obviously things you have to look at yeah. but we're all invited we're all invited each and every day to be just a little bit more kind a little bit more compassionate a little bit more willing to listen. At the end of the day, I think that's what mysticism is really inviting us into. And and with this promise that even, you know, it's Mother Teresa, the story about Mother Teresa, who was out there winning Nobel Prizes because she was feeding, you know, taking care of so many people in the streets of Calcutta. She she had a dark night of the soul experience that lasted 40 years, you know? She and so had a lot of doubt. Yeah. Doubt and emptiness and aridity and God seemed far, far away. And when her when her notebooks were published, people were shook up. They were like, oh my God, Mother Teresa, you know, she wasn't the real deal. And I'm like, no, she really was the real deal because she got it that it wasn't contingent on her experience. Because exactly. she had, she did have a sense of being called. So she, it's not like she didn't have some sense of connection to the divine. But at the end of the day, her connection to the divine was about her hands, yes. not necessarily about her mind. Yes. You know, and I think that's what yeah. all of us ultimately are being invited into. Where is the spirituality in your hands? Right. And so. in the doing, I think that's an experience in itself. You know, when you're doing with your heart in whatever that kind of service is. That's an experience for sure of mysticism. And we can get ourselves into trouble there when we become compulsive about that, mm -hmm. when our our doing is steeped in activism and we're contemptuous of the people who oppose us. You know, I mean, all those kinds of things. So even the doers have to learn how to slow down. Yeah. And to breathe. Yeah. And to be still. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. And stillness too. I think, I think the ones that are really looking and kind of forcing these things to happen, if they just be silent, they'll probably mm -hmm. have the greatest. I mean, I, I really feel that uh, silence is a tough place to be in today's world. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I mean, I think that again, the hide and seek talk about how the hide and seek is played out in our world, just in terms of decibels. And yeah. listen, you know, I'm an old deadhead. I love rock and roll. You know, my wife and I went to see Taylor Swift this year. We were we were the oldest people. It's 70,000 <laughs> people. And it was us and a bunch of 20-year-old young women who were amazing and powerful and strong and having yeah. a great time. And we, we had a great time too. Yeah. So I love music. I love entertainment. I love parties. I love all that kind of stuff. But there is a level on which our culture has become noisy because it's afraid of silence. Right. 
Exactly. Exactly. And and so the question is not that you know noise and 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 volume is bad. Problem is is again where's the heart? Is this just celebrating life and it partners with times of stillness and silence? Or is this actually a kind of compulsion? Right. And I do think culturally speaking, we have become compulsive about noise and sound and entertainment. And, you know, look at, even look at movies, how movies keep getting louder and the explosions keep getting bigger and the, and the enemies get bigger and the, you know, the conflicts get bigger and bigger. It's, it's like we're on this treadmill and we're just running faster and faster and faster. So the obvious question is, what are we running from? What are we running from? That is the question. And I think that is, I think um, that might be the the catalyst for maybe buying your books and starting to read about a different way of being. Well, and your website is great too. You know, oh, thanks. Well, um, and that's free, but um, yeah. the, um, you know, you know, and, and obviously in the, the Christian tradition, like, like Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, you know, they're, they're theistic. So there's this idea that, and again, you call it God, call it spirit, call it love, call it the mother, you know, whatever. But there is there is a sacred other that invites us into relationship. And so, you know, you and I can sit and talk about, oh, the world's get the world's going to hell in a in a in a bucket to, to quote the Grateful Dead. The world's going to hell in a bucket. The um, it's getting louder and noisier and faster, and the movies are, you know, the explosions in the movies are getting bigger, blah, 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 blah. And then spirit is still in there inviting people each and every day to be still enough, yeah. to listen to the still small voice within. And so you know, it's this is why I think you know, and, and it's it like it, when we talk about the environment, climate change, you know, the the loss of species, all that. It's so easy to fall into despair and to be discouraged. Yes. And yes, you know, the human family has done incredible damage. It's going to take the earth a long, long time to heal from what we've done. Um, but then, if we can see things again through the eyes of divine love, you know, we understand that w- when you get sick, you get better. When you have a wound, you heal. And if you die, then you move on to the next life. There's nothing is, again, a rock band from the 70s called Gong. They had a song once, and they they were definitely out of that psychedelic world. So I don't know why psychedelics are showing up so much today. This is kind of a fun, (laughs) it's Ram Dass. It's all because of Ram Dass. But but the, um, the, but they had a song called "You Never Blow Your Trip Forever." Mm-hmm. I love the title. You know, yeah. the song. The song's kind of a mediocre song, but the title is great. "You Never Blow Your Trip Forever," mm-hmm. and so this, you know, this idea that you know, and then, of course, immediately I can hear my fundamentalist Christians friends saying, "But what about hell?" And it's like, "But what about hell?" You know, um, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, "If I make my bed in hell, God is there." Yeah. You know, yeah. That, yeah. that it's like all roads lead home to the heart chakra. To, yeah, to the divine. And that's yeah. what the heart, the heart's like, love is real, God is love, and God dwells in your heart. That's it. That, that's, 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 that, that's it in a much nutshell. And so, um, so it's just, it's just impossible. You know, it's impossible to blow our trip forever. It's impossible to, 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 to this is what I would tell a lot of my students. You do not have the power to stop God's love for you. You yeah. do not have the power to stop God's love for you. You could be the biggest, meanest mass murderer, you know, out there. And then God's heart is broken because of the choices you make, but God still loves you. Yeah. 
and and you know and coming into that recognition again that's the moment at which for so many of us it's like wait a minute i can amend my life i, I you know so many people who who struggle with addiction it's that you know that recognition of the higher power it's like yeah i really can beat this i don't have to keep drinking exactly, you know exactly. I, I don't have to go to las vegas and blow all my money um you know, that there are other options because that's what divine love does is it opens up possibilities Absolutely. in our hearts and in our lives. Yeah. When you start living from heart space and it sounds very yoga and very whatever, but there is a real heart space. When you live from there, everything outside of you changes. It truly does. It just, it just organically happens. Saturday, you said something we were chatting and you said your wife says um, it was about bridges and versus walls. So yes, I mean, as we, as we wrap up, mm -hmm. I would, I would like to, cause I, I just think that's really beautiful. Well, it just, and again, back to our long standing uh, Fran, my beloved wife, she and I, we've been married 30 years. It's great. We're still like newlyweds, you know, we, 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 we embarrass people in public with our PDAs, but um, <laughs> the, um, uh, you know, and she has this huge heart that again, can't be contained by any one religion. And she'll just say, you know, I'm more interested in building bridges and walls. And I think that's it in a nutshell, you know, back to Christian mysticism and, and mystical spirituality in general, yeah. you know, uh, if Christian mysticism is about a wall, I'm not interested. As somebody who wrote the book on Christian mysticism, I'm not interested. But if Christian mysticism is a bridge that can connect the deep wisdom traditions of Jesus and Jesus's followers with the deep wisdom traditions of the Buddha, you know, of, of the Sufis, of the Kabbalists, of, of, you know, the goddess tradition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way around, then wow, what an exciting place to be. And then when we meet somebody whose story is different than ours, it isn't, I'm right and you're wrong, or let's argue to see who's right. It becomes, wow, we have such radically different experiences, and yet they take us to some pretty creative places. Let's learn about each other. And yeah. that's just, and then and then it's like the lotus is just opening up. Yeah. It's just a beautiful place to be. It's, and again, and, and again, when we talk about that, we're talking about a, a heart space love of, yeah. I want to know about you. I, and you want to know about me. Yeah. And I just think what you're saying is beautiful and I, that's enriching my basis. And so the more you open in love, the more enriched your own life becomes and on it goes. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing your, your wisdom and your uh, sense of humor. And I, I really would like you to share your books, the audience, because they really are beautiful, beautifully yeah. written. So easy to, you know, it's, it's not anything where you're like, what does that mean? You know, it's like, they're easy to understand and they really speak to, to the heart. So. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. I so appreciate that. So my website is, and it comes from a Gaelic word, an Irish Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic word that means soul friend. So my website is onamkara.com. That's A N as in Nancy, A M as in Mary, C H A R A.com. And then, of course, you can learn more about me and, you know, upcoming events and so forth. The books, obviously, the most recent book is The New Big Book of Christian Mysticism, which is a revision of The Big Book of Christian Mysticism that came out about 13 years ago. And then the other book that you alluded to is my book, Eternal Heart. Um, and if people want to hear more about my story, I have a book called Unteachable Lessons, which is kind of part part spiritual teaching, but also part memoir. And so that's a way to kind of get to know me a little bit better. So, And that's the book that's um, Wisdom Can't Be Taught, and that's okay. Why, why Wisdom Can't Be Taught, and that's okay. Exactly. Yeah, and unteachable lessons, you know, that, that we do receive spiritual lessons in life, even when we're not looking for them, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So. Isn't the universe generous to us, huh? Uh, amen.
Amen. Yeah, Carl, thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, you this is, so much. It's been a great conversation. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Enjoy your day. You too. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you would like to experience healing or give the gift of healing to another, please go to my website, www.hamsaholistichealingandayurveda.com or email me at sherry at hamsaholistichealing.com or you can contact me on Facebook, Sherry Berjanski. I offer Ayurveda consultations, Reiki energy healings, reflexology and Ayurveda foot massage, tarot card readings, angel card readings, and much more. If you found this podcast helpful, please share an episode so that we can spread this wonderful wisdom of healing. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care. Namaste.